This is Roof English Radio with Darenata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, this is Roof English Radio and I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company. An episode today of the week in Iceland and what a week it has been and is continuing to be. We sit here having our conversation at 22 minutes past midday on Monday. My guest today is Jelena Ciric, the journalist who has, along with the rest of the country, I guess, been watching what's been happening very enthusiastically. Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure if enthusiastically is the right word. There is a definitely yeah. a sort of anticipation um, that I think we're all feeling. And I just looked behind you and noticed this piece of textile art, which is a piece of yes. a flowing lava. <laughs> it is. And yeah, the studio that we're in here at yeah. Rouve is sporting this beautiful, I would have said rug. That's rug, how uncultured yeah. I am. It piece is of not. textile art that hangs from the wall that represents one of Iceland's many previous volcanic eruptions. And who knows, we could, even by the time this conversation is published be witnessing another. That's right. And uh, when I first saw on Friday evening, uh, the, the the way that I sort of found out that things were possibly moving forward was I saw a post from the volcanology department of the university that said very clearly, it looks like the magma is on the move. And for when the scientists say something that concrete, then yes. you know that something really is happening. Well, the, we know the magma has been moving. The question yeah. is, how much further does it move? Does it decide to stay where it is? And that, as we have this conversation, becomes a slightly more it becomes slightly more possible to consider that actually this ends with nothing erupting from the ground, which is what we're all hoping for, of course. But still, the most likely option is that somewhere along that fifteen-kilometer dike, that magma intrusion, there is going to be an eruption. Let's go back to f Friday. W when were you first aware of the quakes? Because they really did start punching through in a way that other uh, other earthquakes in the capital region hadn't really till that point, I think. I've been pretty lucky as far as that's concerned this time around. I haven't felt too many of the earthquakes. Friday afternoon, I headed out of town to Kvalfjörður, just north of Reykjavik. Yes. So, um, I didn't feel any earthquakes on Friday, actually, myself. Did you feel any? Well, yes. And for the first time, they felt more than just like single strikes on the building because mm. and I'll, I'll mention this for anyone listening outside of Iceland or even outside of the capital area. The quakes that we felt over the last couple of weeks and the quakes that we felt over the summer in the lead up to the Fagrisvofjatla uh, eruption, I, I likened it to someone sort of punching the building that we were in. It was a very short, <laughs> sharp shock. It didn't sort of tre tremble and quake like in a disaster movie. Mm. It was like a monster punching the building. Like, this is how it felt. On Friday, however, two of the quakes w were, were much more significant. Mm. I've got my Christmas decorations up already. I'm not ashamed to admit it. And one of them <laughs> is a bell that I bought in a yard sale in America for a dollar with some Christmas tat on the front of it. And it was in the living room. And it rang. Wow. So I thought, well, that's that's an indication of something. And the building did shake. It felt more like an earthquake than the previous quakes. Now, of course, in Grindavik, that was having a dreadful effect. That was ripping up the golf course and it was tearing roads apart and causing more damage than we realised at the time. Absolutely. And there's a video of the mayor of Grindavik live uh, in a live interview when one of these quakes suddenly hit and it really, you can see everything behind him shaking. You can see the there's a light yeah, yeah. bulb kind of swinging and, and uh, it's it's quite, he takes it really very calmly. It <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah. I was just speaking to my colleague and my friend Valor Gretesen, who was the interviewer. 
in in that sequence, mm-hmm. and he was describing to me what it was like in Grindavik on on Friday, and he'd never felt quakes here of that sort of. Uh, magnitude. There may have been yeah, quakes yeah. of that magnitude, but he's not felt them in, in quite that way. Yeah, I think when you're right on the epicenter or almost yeah. on the epicenter of the quakes, then of course you must feel them a lot stronger. And it very quickly turned from a situation where civil defence were saying, we don't think there's a need to evacuate the town, to we are evacuating the town. And that seemed to be based on new information that came from the Met Office on Friday about the centre of this activity at that time being under Grindavik. Yeah, it seemed to be from information that showed that the magma dike was actually extending underneath the town and out to the ocean. Um, And we've seen pictures now more recently of a crevice that has opened in a diagonal line across the entire town. It's really incredible to see Mm. these drone images where you can see where the earth has, there's a depression in the earth and it's almost opened up. Um, and it's a very sort of clear line along where the where the dike is. Yes. Now, the people of Grindavik uh, have all been evacuated with tremendous efficiency, it has to be said. Really quite impressive to see that the town was evacuated so calmly and so quickly. And so few people in need of those Red Cross shelters, the vast majority of the town, able to find accommodation with friends and family, which is fantastic. But obviously the residents want to get back to their homes to rescue valuable items that they have, documents, whatever. Um, As we sit here just now at about half past 12 on Monday, the police are allowing that and they're allowing um, residents on the east side of the town in a variety of streets and some companies as well because the west side is where the magma dike currently runs under. So that's still thought to be the most dangerous area. But great to see that people are able to get back to their homes, even if it's literally just for five minutes. Absolutely. And especially um, after hearing that there were many animals, pets left behind. Uh, some sheep were rescued yesterday, I believe, yes. from the area. Um, and of course, about 20 residents got to go in yesterday. And, and some of those uh, had left behind or had to leave behind animals when they evacuated. Um, but there are still quite a lot of pets in the town and a lot of uh, animal welfare organizations have gotten together and written mm. a petition asking the police to help uh, rescue these animals because some of them are locked inside yeah. uh, without maybe food or water at this point in time. And so I, I hope that that's something that authorities are able to assist with. Yeah, and the fate of animals, of course, always pulls at the heartstrings and, and creates tremendous emotion. And there has been quite an emotional response to the suggestion that you've got these animal charities that are willing to go in and mm. take the animals away, but the authorities are saying, no, it's not safe. And, and you have to really side with the authorities here because the mm. consequences of that going wrong would be that human life would be lost. As well as but, the animal life. And so, as well as the animal life. So, yeah, of course it has to be if and when authorities deem it uh, safe yeah. for for some sort of rescue operation to happen. And, I mean, there are there are people going into the town now, residents being let in, so uh, perhaps some of those are pet owners who will be able yeah. to, to find and rescue their pets. It seems, and I say this as someone who has spoken to various international media in the last few days, it seems that this operation so far is being viewed quite impressively, that people are looking at the evacuation and saying that went incredibly well. It's great that there was a plan in place. It's great that these shelters emerged as quickly as they did. Iceland seems to be a country that knows what it's doing in this area, which I guess you would hope. Yes, I think uh, one of Icelanders' strengths as a nation is reacting in situations of danger mm. uh, and sort of emergency situations that 
that happens suddenly. And maybe that's because of the history, you know, we can kind of suppose that it is because of this history of, of eruptions and earthquakes and natural disasters and, and so on. Um, yeah, and I think that that's something that the country has learned from. And I mean, when, when I was reporting on COVID-19, for example, mm. in, in the early stages of the pandemic, Iceland was one of the countries whose early response was most successful. We managed to prevent uh, huge outbreaks for a very long time. And that was because there was a policy in place before the pandemic occurred. And authorities had even reviewed and updated that policy um, as soon as they saw data emerging that there might be a pandemic on the way. Yes. And so I think that's the same thing that's happened in Grindavik. There is a policy in place. And because that policy was in place in advance and because we have authorities that know and understand that policy, we're able to react in the moment. I was struck by the words of the mayor of Grindavik yesterday, who was one of the speakers at the service for the residents of the town at Hakrimskirkia. And he said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, we've been living with this visitor next to us <laughs> for the last few years and you know this is a visitor that's been quite well behaved in recent years but maybe not this time talking of course about that volcanic system which has awoken on the peninsula after eight centuries of lying dormant mm -hmm. and he's right because the last three years the volcanic eruptions have been what you might call tourist friendly they've been in places which have been easy to see but have been not terribly close to infrastructure and people this one is different or this one will be different potentially if it happens that's right um i mean the town of grindavik is directly at risk as well as svartinki power station yeah um, the blue lagoon has already been closed down um, so there are definitely there's infrastructure at risk i mean infrastructure has already been damaged mm. with these earthquakes the roads in grindavik there's huge cracks in the roads um, the water system, the piping under the town has been damaged in some areas. So there are parts of the town that don't have hot water um, or perhaps don't have water at all mm. um, just because of these leaks that have happened. I mean, it's very understandable with the earth earthquakes shaking everything around. Some pipes are bound to burst or, or yeah. separate. Striking as well that for the first time, we've touched on this a bit, but for the first time in the last few years, the earthquakes themselves have been significant, other than merely as precursors to volcanic activity. That's right. Uh, as far as I can remember, with the three past eruptions, the only sort of quote-unquote damage that, that was heard of were things falling off of shelves, yeah. you know, grocery stores, things falling off the shelves. And or even, in then, people's even homes. then very close to the centre of yeah, the Yeah, that's activity. right. That was yeah. still only in Grindavik, really, that that was happening. So yeah. um, luckily, so far, no, no injuries due to the earthquakes. Uh, but the damage is significant, and I think mm -hmm. that's something that the authorities also have to look at. Um, but at this stage, of course... While we're sitting here waiting for a possible eruption, it's it's much too early to go in and think about repairing uh, yes. the damage that's already occurred, and perhaps well, there the, will the, be more damage. There have, there's been some effort already, of course, to repair yeah. the infrastructure in the town, hot water supplies and mm. electricity supplies. So, so as as far as is possible, that is being yeah. maintained, which is fantastic, and we hope it's being maintained, of course, with a view to everybody in Grindavik being able to return home, which we have to reiterate remains a very distinct possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even at this stage with a very long magma dike and magma that's now in some areas 800 metres below the surface, so very close. I, I mean, there's still no certainty that an, an eruption will happen. No. Um, and there have been other similar events, even in the area where, where there's been, for example, uplift 
which did not end in an eruption. There's been a magma intrusion forming, which never reached the surface. So even though this event does seem bigger and authorities and, and scientists are saying that an eruption is more likely perhaps than, mm. than it has been in previous events, it could just end with nothing. And you do wonder if that would be unsettling. We'd need to know, basically, I don't know how these things work in, in tremendous detail. We need to know the magma had cooled down or solidified or had stopped emerging, I guess, for people to, to feel relaxed if it doesn't erupt. Absolutely. I think as, if I were a resident of Grindavik, I would need some sort of assurance from authorities that it was safe for me to return yeah. home. Yeah. And yeah, the question is what that sort of assurance I mean, in, in a way, we just want it to happen now. We want it to happen in the mountains mm -hmm. uh, and, and start spraying this stuff away from people, away from infrastructure, so we know where it is and we know that the pressure is being released. The other possibility, of course, although I think this is becoming much less likely, according to the experts, is that we have what's called an explosive eruption or an ash eruption, which would be if the volcano or the volcanic eruption took place under the sea which remains possible. But even if that happens, we're not talking about another Eyjafjallajökull. We're not talking about another eruption that would close airspace for six months, for example, are we? Well, as far as I know, no, but uh, there could be. I mean, it, it's difficult to tell at this stage. And, and um, the original epicenter of where the uplift was happening, close to Mount Thorbjörn and close to Svartsenki power station, um, in that area... Unlike where the previous eruptions the last three years have been, that mm. area actually has some groundwater as well. So if the magma were to come up through that area, it mm. would also be going through groundwater, okay. which means magma in contact with water, much more possibility of ash as well. So again, even if it were on land, it could be different from the previous eruptions on the peninsula. But in, in terms of scale, we aren't looking at Eyjafjallajökull. I, I, yeah, I yeah, don't which, believe so. <laughs> which, would be, which would be truly disastrous in so many ways. Talking of disaster, um, the organisation that looks after Iceland's national disaster insurance has published a statement on the insurance situation in Grindavik saying, according to the law, new insurance contracts may not be entered into when an insured event has started in the place or area that's at risk, which is hardly surprising, of course. You'd expect that from an insurance entity. All fire-insured properties in Iceland are compulsorily insured under this scheme, but if a building doesn't have fire insurance, then it's not compulsorily insured. And that must be the fear that some people will fall short of that. That's right. Um, so as you said, I mean, perhaps not surprising, uh, this statement from the, from the insurance, but uh, one would also hope that, that there would be a way to help people yeah. who were in such a situation. Uh, and I think one of the things that's that's very, I mean, you really feel for the people of Grindavik in terms of people who have, you know, invested their life savings buying property there uh, mm. and mm. are now facing the possibility of losing it or yeah. already facing damage from these earthquakes. Um, so one would hope that there there is a way to support them and help them, yes. um, whether or not that's directly through insurance or maybe through some government initiative. So, um, and the government is is at this point drafting bills more in terms of protecting the town, uh, drafting a bill to potentially put up uh, dirt barriers around important infrastructure mm. to direct the flow of lava. So, And that meeting will have taken place by the time you hear this conversation. It's about an hour away relative to where we're sitting, half past one on uh, Monday afternoon is when it's expected. 
And I know that the Prime Minister was saying this morning she doesn't expect any opposition to this uh, unanimous support. So, I mean, in that spirit, I think you're right. If there is to be unanimous support for the idea of building defences against the consequences of this, they may there may well be further down the line support for a bill that seeks to uh, lessen the financial damage on people. That's right. I mean, I guess we have to wait and see and and see how everything turns out. And mm. and as well, uh, with building any sort of barriers, we're still looking at a race against time. I mean, yeah. in 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 the scale that we're looking at now, with all the activity that's been happening, one hour seems like a lifetime yes, almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I obviously hope that this conversation does not become redundant for two reasons. <laughs> One, it would have been a waste of time, pleasant although it has been in many ways, to have the conversation. But mainly, of course, if you're hearing this conversation, it means that as of the time it's published, there has not been an eruption and that's the state of play that we very much wish to maintain. Uh, Yelena, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Joining thank me here on Roove English Radio, that's Yelena Sirich, journalist taking a look at what we know as of right now and more importantly i guess what we don't know when it comes to what happens next on the rakines peninsula this is roof english radio i'm darren adam and you can get in touch anytime with us by email english at ruv.is there is more from roof english with all the news from iceland in english at ruv.is slash english Roof English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof.